Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church. Um, and I want to share just a couple things. Um, I just want to say, I did not plan on saying any of these things, but um, just during worship um, a few moments ago, I was just struck by the, um, the ability of God to somehow craft a message, whether it be through my study time and what the Lord's leading me into through the week, um, how the Lord is leading uh, TJ and the band, um, how, how the Lord is leading even the singers um, in the band, and for Charlotte to pray uh, the prayer that she prayed, talking about God being with us um, despite even our circumstances. Um, like if we knew the circumstances that each person was going through when they prayed something like that, I'm hear me when I say this, I promise you it would mean more to you. They're not just empty words repeated. They're not just empty words given because I heard someone else pray like this once before. But when you hear um, a, a prayer come out of um, a situation um, where God has met them in that, it's so great to hear. And then to see how God has sort of knit together what I want to talk about with the songs that they chose. If you guys are under any idea that, that somehow TJ and I craft the songs and the message together, we're not even that smart. We don't even know how to do that. I promise you. TJ is not me, I promise you. But how the Lord will just knit it together. So when I share what I'm about to share and you hear the songs that we're singing today, the Lord's up to something. Would you agree with that? And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful to be a person who uh, goes to a church and, and follows Jesus with a group of people who think the same way. You also agree God is up to something? Um, and if you don't think that, um, stick around. He's up to something, I assure you. Um, one last thing, unrehearsed, here we go. Um, um, we have decided to move upstairs um, on March 1st. And, and by we, I mean we just picked a date. There it is. We do not have approval from the city yet. Yet. But we have three weeks to get said approval. Uh, the uh, audio system and video system is not fully integrated and installed yet. Uh, yet we have three weeks to get that finished. So we're hoping. So we're, we're faith people. And we're just believing that God's going to allow us to move upstairs. Um, here's probably what will happen. I don't know how this thing will play out. But it'll probably be a Sunday that you guys show up for church. And as you start to filter into this room, we'll just say, why don't you just go on upstairs? We, we probably won't even do like a big thing about it. So once we get into the room and do a couple services up there, then maybe we'll do the big reveal, the big um, grand opening or something. We haven't planned all that out. Maybe that'll be Easter. Who knows? So anyways, um, that was a long introduction. I've already said my name. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a Bible underneath the seat around you, and you can use that Bible. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 178. We're going to start a, a new book study in the book of Joshua. If, you, if you're new to Renaissance, one of the things that we like to do here is just teach through books of the Bible. So we typically pick a book, um, start chapter 1, verse 1, and just work our way through. And we get to the end when we get to the end. 
So um, I've been feeling some time that we should maybe study in the book of Joshua. And I feel this probably because um, what we have embarked on the last few years, um, although it's not the same thing, but with the building campaign and waiting to get upstairs and stuff, it felt much like wandering in the wilderness, if anyone knows what that feels like. Um, and Joshua tells the story of God's people having wandered the wilderness post-freedom from Egypt, making their way into the promised land. After they've wandered, Joshua's the one who's going to take them into that place. And we begin to read and experience um, by reading the things that the people of God encountered as they stepped into the promises of God. And I feel very much that what's happening upstairs was a promise of God given to a church who was faithful to believe faithful to give towards and and move that direction. So I feel like we're much like the people of Israel moving into the promised land, although it's not the same thing, if you know what I'm trying to say. Just nod and I'll move on. All right, thank you very much. So so I just want to read the first nine verses today um, and just start this study. We'll be in this book for, who knows, weeks, months, or something. We'll see. Starting here in verse 1, you can follow along on the screen here if you'd like as well. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall abide, shall be able rather to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law... The, the writings of Moses, he says, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous and do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ah. Comfort, Lord, comfort. Bring comfort to your people. Would you pray with me one more time? And you're probably thinking, they pray an awful lot at this church. Yes, we do. Welcome to church. So uh, pray with me. God, we again thank you for our time together. Would you help us to be people like Joshua, attentive to your words, and that they might uh, strengthen us and encourage us as we go to live our lives, the lives that you have laid before us on this earth. God, we thank you that you are intimately aware of all that we do and think. And so we're so grateful that you would speak to us today in a way that can help us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, be with us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The opening lines of this book for Joshua is actually um, 
a, a narrative of a story where God is actually speaking. God is the one sort of doing the speaking to Joshua. And he begins with this idea that Moses has died. So that's the story that we're jumping into. Moses has died. And for us to fully appreciate the words that God has already spoken here, we need to understand who this Moses character is and or was. Now, many of us might know some of the story of Moses, but for, for those of you that don't, this will be a cliff notes sort of review for all of us. But Moses was a Hebrew. He was one of God's own people, and he was born in the northern part of Africa in a country called Egypt. Have you heard of Egypt? Yes. And he was born there while God's people were enslaved there by the king Pharaoh of that land. Now, Egypt, as if you don't know the backstory, behind the backstory was a nation that God used to spare the lives of many people on the earth uh, hundreds of years ago when a great famine swept across the land. Through great foresight that God had given the Egyptians, they were able to store up grain for themselves so then when the famine came across the land, they were able to live. And not just themselves, but God used those resources to save other nations and other tribes. And God's people the tribe of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, all those guys, they too were saved as they made their way down into Egypt to eat some of that grain that they had stored up. Fast forward some years, the nation of Israel, God's people, began to prosper and grow and grow down in Egypt to the place where the, the king, Pharaoh, looked at the, at the uh, Israelites and thought to himself, if they were to mount up an insurrection against us, because they are so populous, because there's so many of them, they're going to overthrow us. So he, he decreed an edict. He said, every... Um, mother, sorry, I want to say mama, I didn't feel right, but every mother... <laughs> who gives birth to a, to a boy, a Hebrew boy, the boy must be tossed into the Nile to drown. Now, Moses was one of those sons born to a mother. And rather than throwing her son into the Nile to drown, she actually kept him hidden for three months. And after three months, she couldn't hide him any longer. So she eventually put him in a basket, an ark, if you will, and placed him into the Nile River. Um, as happenstance would have it, if there is such a thing, as God's providential hand led uh, Pharaoh's own daughter, she makes her way down to the river with some servants to bathe, and they see this little basket ark thing with a boy in it. She decides to take this boy home with her and adopts him as her own son. Moses was spared providentially by the hand of God. And hear me, and this wouldn't be the first time or the last time, <laughs> right? So God spared Moses. Moses grows up in the temple, or not temple, but the, the palace of the king, if you will. He's educated. He's a, a person of affluence. And when he matures, one day he's walking through the land and he sees uh, an Egyptian taskmaster brutal, brutalizing or beating up a, a Hebrew slave. And Moses thinks this is wrong and lashes out in anger and kills the Egyptian taskmaster. And now... He has to run for his life, knowing there's a death penalty for such an offense. So Moses flees from Egypt, the place of his birth and the place of his upbringing. Out in the desert, where he's hiding out in a place called Midian, he has this encounter that we call the burning bush moment. And the burning bush moment is this, is where God comes to Moses in the form of a bush that's on fire yet not being consumed. Pfft, I have no idea. But it's this crazy, miraculous moment that, that Moses draws near towards and God speaks to him and says these words, ish, ish, this is my paraphrase. I'm sending you back to Egypt. 
Now Moses, like many of us, was, would say, uh-uh, I ain't having it. I'm not going back there. There's a, a warrant for my arrest and execution. I'm certain of it. And God says, but no, you don't understand. I'm sending you back because my people have cried out to me, and I want to deliver them. I want to rescue them. Moses, you're going to be the one to rescue them. Moses, again, uh, doesn't want to go. And so God says these words. He says, but I will be with you, he says. I will go with you, and I will never leave your side. So Moses goes, and he goes before Pharaoh, the king, and he says these words-ish. God wants his people back. <laughs> He's like, let him go. Loosen the chains. God wants them to come worship him. And, and, and Pharaoh says no. So after a series of miraculous events that we call the plagues, finally Pharaoh relents and says, take your people and go. Moses leads this de facto nation of a million plus people out of Egypt and crosses the Red Sea, if you know that story. And they make their way, if you will, to this mountain called Sinai, which we talk about a lot. He goes up the mountain, communes with God, brings down the Ten Commandments. God speaks to Moses more than anyone. He gives him the plans for the, the tabernacle, which is this mobile temple that it's like a tent, if you will, that they would set up in the desert and God's presence would come. Moses would go in and speak with God and God would talk to Moses about the nation and what he wanted them to do. And he would lead them. Moses became the leader of this group of people. He instituted the priesthood through his own brother Aaron and so many other things. When they disobeyed God, when they became um, stiff-necked, as God called them, and God wanted to bring judgment upon them, Moses was the only one who, who mediated God's softened heart against them. And, and God decided not to judge the Israelites because they longed to go back to Egypt because they did not believe that God was going to take them into the promised land. Moses was the only one who interceded for the, their behalf. Moses was the one who hit a rock and made water come out. Moses was the, one, was the one who asked God to bring bread from heaven. Moses was the one who did all of these things, and he leads his people finally up to the edge of a river called Jordan, and just on the other side is the promise of God, the land that had been promised to Abraham, their forefather. Uh, extra credit. Genesis chapter 12. Just go back there and read all of that. The promise has been laying dormant in antiquity like a seed in their hearts, just waiting for the day rain would come and bring life to it. And they stand on the edge of the Jordan and they're about to walk in and then Moses dies. That's how the story begins. Moses, my servant, is dead. Rut row. Now what? And this is how we enter into this story. So about the promise of God, we sp speak about the land. That is the, the content of the promise. And we read about this in verse 4. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the way over to the great sea towards the west and all over this, if you pull out your Bible atlas, you see this huge swath of land that God had promised Abraham and is now ready to give to his own people. It's beyond their wildest dreams and expectations. And that is the content of the promise. But the context is this, Moses has died. Now what do we do? Whoever should we follow? What can we do to get into this land? Moses had been Israel's mediator of sorts, and their destiny, if you could picture this, was almost attached to him. And now that he is gone, what is going to happen to them, they must wonder. 
know this too, that Joshua tells us later in Joshua 3 that the River Jordan was actually at its flood stage at this point. Normally the river is maybe 100 feet across, three to 10 feet deep, I don't know, but in the harvest season when the rains came, the, the river would swell beyond its banks. Just picture the bridge that you cross to go to St. Louis in the summertime when it's just well beyond the spillway. And now these people stand on that side, wanting to get to the other side, and their leader, Moses, is dead. So the question is, what about the promise of God? What do we do now? Should we, should we stay here and weep more for Moses? They have already mourned for him for 30 days. Should we return back to Egypt? Should we, should we just wait for something else to happen? And, and what God says next is profound. He says here in verse 2, No, therefore, arise, he says. Now arise and go over this Jordan. Go over this thing. Hear me this, about the promises of God. Um, Dale Davis says this in his commentary on Joshua. He, he says that, the, the oh, I wrote it down. I, just, I was going to try to do it, but I'll screw it up. Um, he says God's fidelity or his devotion or his faithfulness to his own people does not hinge on the achievements of men, however gifted they may be, nor does God's promise evaporate in the face of funerals or floods. Do you hear what I'm saying here? God's promise does not just disappear because Moses, the one you thought was going to lead you to said promise, has died. No, God's promise remains. God's promise remains even though there seems to be this thing in front of it that can't stop, that seems to stop you from getting to it. But just because there's something in front of you blocking your past does not mean that the promise of God has somehow become null uh, and void. Whew. God's promise exists outside of us. God's promise exists from him who is immutable, unchangeable, and forever powerful enough to sustain said promise. So when God says, arise and cross the Jordan, your heart must leap with joy. But I don't think that's what happened with Joshua. <laughs> I don't think joy would be the words that Joshua is now describing. He was Moses' apprentice, if you will, so he does know how to lead them a little bit, but he is um, certainly terrified. And why do I think that? Because here in verse um, 5 and 6, rather, it says that God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. He says again in verse 9, be strong and courageous. Three different times God is telling Joshua to be strong and courageous. Why do you think this is? Because um, God, much like a terrible metaphor, terrible metaphor uh, alert, but much like a, a coach who can look at his players on the court or the field and can see something that they're not doing that's causing them to underperform, if you will. They, they're not keeping their eye on the ball or using their legs for their free throws, whatever this thing is, the coach can see that. He or she can see that and speak that to a player. God is like that. He can oftentimes look into our lives and see the very things that are missing. And so he looks to Joshua and he says, I need you to be strong. 
I need you to be courageous. I need you to step into this with those two things. And he's saying those things to Joshua because he knows he doesn't have them. And then here's the beautiful part. And he's not just asking Joshua to somehow muscle up his own strength and muscle up his own courage by some intellectual ascent on the beauty and the magnitude of God. He's not saying those things. What he's saying is you'll be strong and courageous, Joshua, because I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Your strength and your courage comes not from you and within you, although we like to think it does, but it truly originates from God. You be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. And he's saying you can be strong because I'm with you. Now, remember all the things that Moses had done. I mentioned the bread from heaven, the water from rock, the parting of the Red Sea, all of these things, the miraculous things that Joshua would have seen. And now he knows that he's going to be called upon to do some similar type things. And he knows he doesn't have the ability to do them. But just as God is with Moses, he will also be with Joshua. Moses has died, but God is still there. He's still there for Joshua, and I could argue that he's still there for us. He's still there for us. We might look at this um, passage and go, yeah, but, 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 um, Jeff, isn't Joshua just the one chosen by God to do this miraculous thing by leading God's people into the promised land? I mean, he's a special character. Surely God was going to be with him. And, and maybe that's true, except when we read the entirety of the Bible, we see other passages where God tells other people that he's going to be with them as well. In fact, if I could turn your attention to a passage in the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, which is the last chapter of this book, the, the author writes of what the life of the Christian, what the life of the follower of um, God, what their life looks like when it's in fact pleasing to the Lord. And in uh, chapter 13, verse five, the author says this, keep your life free from the love of money <laughs> and be content with what you have. Maybe we should just stop there and preach on that. <laughs> That's not the topic. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. That would be a nasty service right there. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The author of Hebrews is quoting Joshua 1.5. He's quoting that time when God stood before Joshua, who was fearful and says, I'll be with you. And so the, the writer says, because he said that, look what he says, verse six. So now we, and he's speaking to followers of Christ, followers of God through Jesus Christ, we can now confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What, why is there any reason to fear on this earth? If God is calling me to do something, then I should be able to do it. Not because you're amazing, and you are, because, but because God is amazing, in you. In my study this week, I, it dawned on me that, um, I don't know how to say this. Um, so, uh, 
I'm going to use church language because I don't know how else to do this. So if you're visiting, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, there, sometimes there's a calling that God places on your life, right? We feel this way when God is leading us into something, whether it's to start a business, to marry this person, to go be a missionary, to be a garbage man, whatever. God is active in the lives of his people, yes? Right. And sometimes we feel a call that God is placing on us. But when we, we strive towards it, we don't find it very challenging or difficult. It's as if your abilities and your gift set is just enough to get there. And I always question when that happens, because I've always felt like if God was calling me to something that I'm capable to do without him, why on earth would he call me there? What I'm asking for oftentimes is, is uh, um, I'm not asking for difficulties, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking for God to call me. And when difficulties arise, it feels more real to me. Because again, why would he call me to something that I can already handle? Why would he call me to something that I, I've already got in the bag? No, I see him calling us to things that are challenging, that drive us to our knees in prayer and faith, to other people in community. Would you pray for me and believe with me that God's going to take this little church that's eight years old and move us upstairs for 500 seats? I mean, like we have those types of conversations. We need other people around us to believe with us the task that Joshua has been um, called to, spoiler alert, is greater than just crossing this river. <laughs> if you know the rest of the book, it's about to get hot up in there. I'm just saying, it's gonna get crazy, the things that God's gonna ask Joshua to do. And God knows he's not a man for the task without him, with him. He says, you can't. So you be strong. You be courageous. You be very courageous. And why is this? Because I'm coming with you, just like I was with Moses, and I'll be with you. And we can take that same sentence, that same statement from God, and apply it to our lives in all things. I'm, I'm scared to start a new school. I'm scared to start a new job. I'm terrified about what it looks like if I lose my job or whatever. And I'm just saying God is sovereign over all things. And when things are moving around and you feel unsettled and unsecure, I assure you God's legs are solid on the ground. I mean, they're fine. I promise, as if it matters. <laughs> the Bible promises. God promises. He says. So, God often calls us to things that are bigger than us, to especially show our, our need for him. And I think that's a good thing. Then God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous, to be careful, to do according to all the law that Moses had commanded. So he wants him to be strong and courageous. And he also says, and I want you to be careful to obey all the writings of Moses or the law. We might look at this as the, the, their Bible, if you will. So the commands that God had given to Moses, that Moses had given to the Israelites, now he's telling Joshua, I want to make sure that you do all of those as well. It's this simple way of saying that the Bible is important to your life and you should obey it, is what we would say from the stage here. And um, I agree that. I agree with that. I think for Joshua, as God is talking to him, he says, I want you to obey all of this stuff. And he doesn't just leave him um, wondering how to do that. He gives them the prescription here. He says, I want you to meditate on it day and night here in verse eight. So you take the, the Bible, the law or whatever of Moses, and to be obedient to it, then God's um, first thing to say about that is says, you need to meditate on it or to consider it, to ruminate on it, to be in it day and night, to know the things that it says. And we believe, and I believe this to be true, that when we, when we 
look to the Bible, when we can consistently go back to it and read it, pray over it, apply it to our lives, we become more obedient to the things of God. Some people agree with that. Maybe you've seen that in your own life. And, or maybe you've seen the opposite, and don't raise your hand for this one, but your lack of reading the Bible, your lack of studying, your lack of believing the Bible has caused a lack of obedience in your life. Don't raise your hands. I mean, the, the other people at the other church down the street. That's what we're, We'll pray for those people. No, of course, we see this in our life. What's so great about the Bible is it, 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 we see all of these things already in us. It's not even like we need to be convinced of them. And so for Joshua, he says, now take the writings of Moses, all the things that he said, meditate on them, consider them, live in them. And this is going to lead you to what he says is a prosperous life, a successful life. Now, for us, now this is, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of theology here, but for us, I think we read the Bible for similar reasons and even more so, okay? Joshua is living a different time or whatever. This is a pre-Jesus cross, if you will, okay? So there was an, an obedience to the law where righteousness was given to the people. Us Christians have our righteousness through a different means. That is Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. But for us, when we read the Bible, I think it's for a couple reasons. Number one, the world around us is oftentimes telling us, screaming at us, the, the way to a better life. We call them advertisements, right? If you want this, get this car. If you want to have happy kids, buy this cereal. If you want, right, all, go to this vacation, VRBO, whatever your thing is, right? And do all of this stuff, and the happy life is found in that, or whatever. Success is found in that. Meaning is found in that. And yet, we as Christians are often, not often, are called, and we talk about this a lot, to be countercultural, to not live the way the world around us lives. So when we read the Bible, I think first order of business is we see this is that the world oftentimes, hear me, lies to us about what life is. If, if, you're, if you grow tired of that car, just lease another one. If you, if you grow tired of that spouse, just find another one. If you grow tired of, and you just move on and on and on, and we see it in the world around us. But when we read the Bible, we would see distinct differences as to how God would want his people to live. So if you don't know what God how God would see a Christian life being lived out, um, I would encourage you to read your scriptures, to read the Bible. You'll find out quickly what God really wants from us. Number two, I think we read the Bible to remember, right? God is good when times are difficult, as we've already talked about. We're going to face challenges and difficulties, and we're going to feel that God has left us to battle all these on our own. But when we read the Bible, like when we read the story of Joshua and read the story, other stories in the Bible, we see that God was with them, and we believe God would be with us. But then lastly, and there are many other reasons to read the Bible, but maybe the most important one, so I'll just finish with this one, is this. We read the, the Bible to see the story of salvation that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. That's one of the reasons... It's the primary reason we read the Bible. I love you. We read the Bible to know who God is and how he loves us through his son. We don't just read the Bible to cherry pick verses and put them on coffee mugs or on the walls at the gym. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> okay. I can't pick up 400 pounds, I'm saying. <laughs> I don't care how many times I say that. 
Do you know what I mean? The Bible is to tell us the story of salvation through Jesus Christ, his son. That is the arc of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. And at the end of our days, he will be the one we will worship forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He's the big deal, yes? And sometimes reading the Bible just, um, God lovingly just puts us back into our place. I mean, you're a big deal. But God's a bigger deal. And he should be in our lives. And we see all of this. Crossing the Jordan River is just the beginning for the people of God. It's just the beginning on what they're going to have to do to possess the land. Joshua's entire future is dependent on this past promise of God. I made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the the fulfillment is finally about to be realized. Hear me. The future of Joshua is dependent on the past promise of God. And the exact same thing could be said of us. That our future is dependent on a promise that God had made too. If you remember the story of beginnings back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God and rebelled against him and sin entered the world, God made a promise one day that he would take the effects of sin and the devil and all of these things and he would deal with them once and for all. And he did so in Jesus Christ on the cross. So we actually, this sounds almost too easy. Some people call this the scandalous nature of the the gospel. But unlike Joshua, who has to meditate on all of the law and keep it perfectly to have any, any form of righteousness, our righteousness has actually been imputed to us, given to us through Christ Jesus. Christ was the one who fully kept the law. Christ was the one who never sinned. God, Christ was the one who, who was able to do all the things that we could never do. And now by faith in him, we have a righteousness. And this frustrates so many people. You mean, so we don't have to work for it? <laughs> Right, we don't have to work for it. Yay! You know what? I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm hoping the 9:30 gets out a little better than you guys. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you guys are. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that, right? But I hope that happens. God will be with us just as he was with Joshua. And he does so, as Jesus says, when I give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit would come and comfort us. He would be with us wherever we go. Our strength and courage comes from that fact, knowing that God would be with us in everything. Their entire future depends on a past promise, and ours does too. But I want you to see one last thing, and I'll finish here. Go back back to verse 6 with me. The second half of that verse, well, I'll read it. I'll read the whole thing to you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So again, the promise is the land. God has already promised it, okay? So it's a done deal. Would you agree with me? The promise has been given. It's taken hundreds of years to get there, but it's about to be fulfilled. Amen. Hallelujah. So there's the promise given, but there's an action that's required from God's people. There's an action. There's a response that's, that must be um, uh, given to receive the promise. 
And for them, it's to arise and to cross the river, whatever that's going to look like, okay? We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but they have to obey God and do the thing. And for us to have the promises from God, like eternal life, the abundant life, and all of the things that the the New Testament tells us we have through Jesus Christ, we have to respond to him. The promise is there for us. We just have to say yes to it. Now, many of us in the room have already said yes to Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. I said yes to Jesus 24 years ago. My life has never been the same. And many of you in this room, I suspect maybe all of you in this room feel the same way. But I wonder if there isn't a few people that will come in today. Maybe you're here now, but maybe you'll come at 930 or they'll come at 930 or they'll come at 11. But there's going to be people here who haven't made that decision to act upon the promise of God through Jesus Christ. And I want them to respond today. I want you to respond today. Here's what you could do. If if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, we're so thankful you've come, but maybe you're a person who's actually um, trusted more in your own strength and your own courage than God's courage and God's strength. Maybe you're a person who believes you're the, the, the king of your domain or whatever, and there isn't a real king, Jesus, who rules and reigns. Maybe you could go to this place lovingly in repentance and just say, Lord, I have replaced you with something far less superior, me. (laughs) and it's gross and we go and bow before him and we say Lord we're sorry you're right again you're right again we come before you and return us back to your ways and your will oh God so that will happen for many of us in the room so when the band comes back and we get a chance to do this I want you to do that please in Jesus name don't visit today Don't just visit the church and go, man, church was great. Hear me, encounter the living God today. Encounter him. He has come all this way to be with you. All this way to be with us. Use the next six, seven, ten minutes and say, Lord, where have I gone astray? Where have I not trusted? Where have I disbelieved? And say, Lord, show me in the Holy Spirit. And when he does, then just repent from it and return to where he is. In the words of Jesus, um, that yoke is far much more light than the yoke you're currently carrying. Leave your ways behind and follow the ways of God. It's better for you. And then uh, lastly, maybe you haven't decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been coming for a while. I love the stories of people becoming Christians at, at Renaissance because we don't do like an altar call. We don't like ask people to raise their hands or anything. It just um, organically happens. And I love when people come tell me, it was during one of your sermons I gave my life to Jesus and I had no idea. I had no idea. And when they tell me, like my heart just leaps. So here's what I'm asking. If you're not a Christian, just surrender. Just believe by faith that Christ has come to uh, receive the penalty for your sin upon himself, that he, he bore all our punishment on the cross. He was buried in a grave and God raised him from the, on the third day, um, accepting his sacrifice for us. And now by faith in him, we have the, the new life that's available. And maybe, maybe you haven't done that yet. Now, what would that look like for me, Jeff? I don't know what you're saying. You want me to do something. I would just say something like this, Lord, like I'm a sinner. 
Like I've tried to do it my own way. I don't want to do it my own way. So I, I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus Christ has come to save me. I believe he was your son. So when the band comes back and you just start saying things like that in your heart, maybe under your breath, whatever, and you just pray this thing to the Lord. And, and then God does this, I almost said magical, but it's mysterious and wonderful, miraculous thing where God just transforms you. The down, uh, down payment deposit of the Lord's presence will be given to you in the Holy Spirit and your life will never be the same. So in my mind's eye, I have 48 seconds, so I get to say whatever I want now. In my mind's eye, when we move upstairs in a few months, when the people start to come, because you know they're going to come, right? I mean, we didn't... Please say yes, because we did not spend all the money, and I didn't, like, I didn't get another ulcer and lose sleep for two years. No, we believe they're coming, and when they come, this is the message we give them, that we were once lost and have been found, and you're lost, and you need found, and it's all about Jesus, and it's going to be amazing. I know. Anyways, I love you guys. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. It is so easy for us, God, to make our lives about busyness. It's so easy for us to just caught up, to get caught up in work, uh, even in ministry, Lord, and to just be sort of doing it on autopilot with no consideration for you. So we, we, we pause now and say, Lord, um, we're sorry. And, and we want to consider you in everything that we do. So thank you for what you've done for us in the past. And thank you for what you're going to do for us in the future. Much like uh, Joshua and the, the nation of Israel, we too we're going to have a strength and a courage that exists outside of us. And we want you to be that for us, Lord. We thank you for our talents and abilities, but we need something greater than those things. Lord. We thank you for our intelligence and our resources of money and all that. But God, we need something greater than that. We need you. So God, would you be with us now? Would you, would you mark this day in the, the calendar of, of history that, that this was the day that we cried out for your help and, and you showed up to say yes. So we thank you for that. God, we love you. We ask that you bless all of us, not just the people here, but would you pray with me for the people that come at 9.30 and at 11, and that many of them would be, uh, become Christians so that they would, they would surrender their lives to Jesus. God, we pray these things, and you're powerful enough to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.